You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas is continuing his series on New Testament characters, now looking at the life of Thomas. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. listening to New Testament Character Study 13 on Thomas. Given the Apostle Thomas's association with India, I think this is the right podcast for me to record because I've just come back from India. I wonder how many of us knew how strong the tradition was that this apostle, normally only credited with doubt, you'd think the guy couldn't do anything, he'd be so paralyzed, that he's credited with taking the gospel to India. We'll come to that in just a moment. In this podcast, we're going to talk about his name and identity. We'll look at three glimpses of Thomas in the Gospel of John. And I'll share you a little bit about the later traditions concerning him. And then finally, some things that are worth emulating in his life for us. His name is Judas Thomas. Did you know that Thomas is just a transliteration of the Aramaic word for twin, Teoma, or the Hebrew Teom. And so another way to put his name would be simply Judas Twin. And in fact, sometimes he's simply called the twin in the Gospels. But then that raises the question, who is his brother or sister? Who is his twin? Some think he's the twin of Matthew because they're often mentioned together. The heretics, the Gnostics, sometimes thought that he was a twin of Jesus. Ultimately, we will not know. So let's focus on what we can know. In John chapter 11, it's already become somewhat dangerous for the Lord to minister. And he is willing to go back to the dangerous territory for the sake of his friend Lazarus. And this is where we get our first glimpse of Thomas. Not not the word Thomas, but the character of Thomas. Because in John 11:16 it says that Thomas, also known as Didymus, and Didymus means twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. It's a bit of a strange passage because the very next verse has Jesus arriving with them at the tomb of Lazarus. That verse really stands out though, doesn't it? Thomas, he was... Uh, On the right track, Jesus wasn't going to die immediately, but soon. And yet, Thomas shows the courage, that understanding of death that is central to following Christ. We see that expressed uh, quite compactly in passages like John 12, uh, 24, and 25, and 26, where following means dying, dying as a seed dies. And so that's the first passage that I want us to look at because it gives us insight into the man's courage. We may think of him him as doubting Thomas. I think that's okay as long as we have a 3D picture of this apostle. Now, the second image is the more famous one. And this is the week uh, where... Well, it's it's, uh, Easter evening. Jesus has appeared to the apostles, but Thomas wasn't present. 
You know that. And then a week later, another Sunday evening, Jesus appears and he gets his chance to see him. So I'm reading from John 20, starting in verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Surely this is the most meaty passage we have on Thomas. He resists the testimony of the other apostles that they had seen the risen Lord. And I'm not sure that that's to his credit. Uh, wanting evidence, wanting some kind of proof. I think that is a positive thing, and clearly the Lord understands that sometimes we need some help. We need an assist. But he won't believe it first. In fact, he says, unless I see the nail marks and even put my finger into the hole, I'm not going to believe. Well, we know. The opportunity comes, and it's a week later, and Jesus again uh, comes right through a locked door. He doesn't even bother to open it. It just materializes there in his resurrection body. And he says, peace be with you, which I'm sure they appreciated. And then he tells Thomas to put his finger, put his hand into my side. There are some famous paintings of Thomas in this encounter, actually putting his hand or his finger into Jesus' side. The text never says he does that. I'm not sure I would. I, I would think if the Lord appeared to me like that, I would just accept it. But whatever, Jesus offers him evidence, and then he says, Stop doubting and believe. Now that's a good message to be ringing in our ears every day, isn't it? Thomas's response is one of humility, submission, and worship. He says, My Lord... And my God. Of course, that's a big theme in John's Gospel that Jesus, in fact, is God, that we see in the Son the full character of God. And Jesus does not shoot him down, he doesn't correct him, he accepts the worship because Jesus is God in his nature. And then Jesus tells Thomas that he's believed because of seeing. But blessed are those who haven't seen and yet have believed, which is nearly every Christian on the planet. We've not seen, we won't see, or rather, we won't see the way that Thomas saw. But through faith, we see in a different way. And there's a great blessing through having that kind of confidence. The third and final passage where we see Thomas is in John 21, 2. And there's really not a lot to go on here. This is where 
the disciples, possibly discouraged. I'm not really sure what's going on. But they've, they've decided to go fishing. Some people would say that they've quit. I don't know about that because Jesus had told them to meet him in Galilee. Ultimately, we, we're familiar with the mountaintop encounter related in Matthew 28. So whether they're going back to their more comfortable life or they're just having an outing, I think it's too hard to say. However, seven of the disciples are there. John 21, 2. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus or twin. Nathanael from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, of course, James and John, and two other disciples unnamed. So we've got a group of seven, and they're fishing. And of course, here, the Lord is on the shore. They've, uh, they've been somewhat frustrated until he directs them to throw their net on the other side of the boat. And then, as they do, as the uh, the number of fish uh, that they catch that, that are, is filling the nets is, is enormous. They recognize the Lord. Uh, it reminds us of Luke 24, where in the breaking of the bread, they recognize the Lord. But here, they know who it is, and they, uh, they finally uh, follow Peter, who goes first. And we don't see anything else there. But of course, uh, this was yet another opportunity uh, for Thomas to see the risen Lord. In other words, he certainly was not shortchanged. Well, I want to mention just one other passage that I think you may not remember has to do with Thomas. And it's in John 14. Uh, verse 6, of course, is, is well known. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But it's Thomas's question, the verse before. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we see a man who is inquisitive, who wants answers, who wants understanding, who seeks evidence. Perhaps we, we could credit him with curiosity. We've already seen he has courage. And even in the confusing days after Jesus' resurrection, he's not pouting in a corner. He's with other disciples. He stays with the fellowship. What happens after? Because we read nothing about his ministry in the book of Acts, which is the case for nearly every apostle. We really know nothing about them, apart from Peter and Paul, uh, and a tiny bit about John and James. We know nothing about the, the 12 apostles from the book of Acts. So let me tell you some things that uh, we, we know about this, um, this great character. According to Indian Christian tradition, lots were cast. They were trying to decide which apostle goes to which country. And then Thomas drew the lot for India, and he said, no way, I'm not going to India. But later he changed his mind. Now, where am I getting this? This is in an apocryphal work called the Acts of Thomas. How trustworthy is it? Well, really, there's a, there, there's a question within a question. How trustworthy are these apocryphal works written in the 2nd, 3rd, 4th century? Somewhat, but not very. But the question within the question is, could there be a kernel of truth in this apocryphal story? I mean, is it feasible that one of the apostles would go to India? Well, trade routes were uh, very active at this time. Uh, overland trade routes to India, which you could get to from 
uh, from Palestine, or maritime, simply, and that was probably faster, just uh, taking a boat to India. And these routes have been open for, for centuries. There were also Jewish communities all over India. And we see a common apostolic pattern of looking for those who already have biblical faith, who are waiting for the Messiah and explaining to them that the Messiah has come. So, is there a possibility that an early Christian traveled to India? Absolutely. That, that, that takes very little faith. Is it likely that an apostle would go there? I think it's actually very likely because India is very reachable. It's a little bit like, like Mark. There's a strong tradition that Mark began the work in Alexandria in Egypt. And we read nothing about this in the New Testament, which is kind of odd because Egypt was a major, um, uh, major uh, a country of major significance. And also Alexandria was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. But just because it's not mentioned there doesn't mean that it didn't happen. I used to be very skeptical about this, this story, this tale. Oh, yeah, yeah, Thomas went to India. At one time, I met an Indian Christian, and he said, Well, my grandfather wrote a book on this subject. Would you read it? He gave me the book. Um, I read it. It changed my mind. It made me much more open. And so at the least I would say, I think there's a good plausibility argument that one of the apostles went to India. Now, if one of the apostles went there, why wouldn't it be Thomas, particularly because the tradition is so ancient and, and so strong? According to this recollection, Thomas worked his way from North India to the South. Oh, he started in the year 52 A.D. That is, about 20, a little bit more than 20 years after the crucifixion. And after he preached, establishing churches, he appointed overseers in these newly established churches. Several generations later, uh, Christians coming from uh, Syria, what's called the Church of the East, uh, joined with these so-called Thomite Christians, Martoma, Martomite Christians, those who, who followed the, the uh, teaching according to the Apostle Thomas. And so they joined up with him. And later, much later, Marco Polo, I think we've all heard of in the late 1200s, he came across this sect, the Thomite sect. He was, uh, he made people quite skeptical when he came back and said, hey, I found Christians there in India, and they've been there uh, for 1,200 years. And they say they come from Thomas. Well, some people back in Europe were very skeptical, but later on it was confirmed that, indeed, Christianity does have an ancient origin. According to the tradition, Thomas was ultimately executed in Chennai, or Madras. That's the old name for Chennai. And that's according to 3rd and 4th century sources. And the traditional site of his execution is called St. Thomas Mount, where the apostle is alleged to have been speared to death in the year 72 A.D. Why would anyone want to kill Thomas? Well, according to the story, his execution was ordered by a king because Thomas had baptized his wife and his son... Uh, his son-in-law, another family friend. It was getting a bit too close to home, and so the king had him executed. I've actually visited the traditional site of Thomas's execution, that he was speared in one place, and perhaps he, he went further to a cave, and he bled out. He died there. What exactly happened, perhaps we'll never truly know. However, um, I don't think it's likely that this is all uh, just legend. I think there's an excellent chance that Thomas did indeed go to India, perhaps in the year 
52. There are several writings that are attributed to Thomas, which are certainly not written by Thomas. One is the Acts of Thomas, which um, I was referring to. There's the infancy gospel of Thomas, where Jesus' miraculous, uh, his childhood miracles are recorded. Uh, certainly we don't believe that Jesus did miracles as a kid. He was no prankster. And then there's the so-called gospel of Thomas, which some scholars think is first century. I think the best scholarship actually puts the gospel of Thomas in the late second century, around the year 180 AD in Syria. Uh, the Jerusalem church in the 300s said this, let none read the gospel according to Thomas, for it is the work not of one of the twelve apostles, but one of one of the three wicked disciples of Mani. Mani was a man who started the Manichaean uh, religion, kind of a heresy. So there are these three writings attributed to Thomas, Gospel of Thomas, which is basically a list of sayings of Jesus, some of which are the same as in the New Testament, some of which are are, are mm, plausible, but I'm not sure, and some of which are just bizarre. And if you have any interest in this, please click on the link in the notes with this podcast. Click on that link to the Gospel of Thomas, and you can see my take with some good quotations. And then there's the Infancy Gospel, and there's the Acts of Thomas. But certainly he did not write any of these documents. Well, in conclusion, what attributes of Thomas are worth emulating? That's where I want us to, I don't want to just to, to stimulate you with a bit of history. I want us to think about this man, because I think he has something to show us. Even though there's so little information about him, we see courage. He certainly displays courage, as we saw in uh, John chapter 11, the, the, when Jesus is going back to see Lazarus. And if the later tradition is correct, he showed great courage, even willing uh, to preach the point of, of being martyred for the faith. I think another thing that we can observe and even emulate is Thomas's insistence on evidence. And I'm not saying we should stubbornly reject the testimony of faith of, of others who are following the Lord. But Thomas really wanted to settle his questions. He wanted to be certain. And the Lord gives him an opportunity. He doesn't commend him for doubting. He actually challenges him uh, to stop doubting. And, and Thomas responds appropriately. He, he worships Jesus as God, as Lord. And then Jesus tells us that we who don't have the direct eyewitness empirical testimony, we're to be commended when we believe. But Thomas's insistence on evidence, I think, resonates with so many people in our generation. They're not willing to believe just because their parents or grandparents believe. They're not willing to believe just because it's in the Bible. They need a bit more. They need someone to talk them through uh, the issues. They need to read a good book of evidences. And if we work through our questions, uh, it can be a good thing. And this is where doubt is a good thing. Uh, like cholesterol, there's good doubt and bad doubt. The bad doubt, we wallow in, we make an excuse for inactivity or for unbelief. But the good doubt actually impels us to search more deeply, sincerely seeking truth. And so with Thomas, we see his courage, his insistence on evidence. I also suggested his curiosity. He wants to understand. I think that kind of goes with the second one, as we looked at in John 14. But then also his evangelistic conviction. This is a man who was chosen by Jesus. Of the 11 plus 1 apostles Jesus chose, or 12 plus 1, only one of them failed him, really, and that was Judas. All the others, we have good reason to believe, 
fulfilled their commission. And I want to live with that spirit of faith, that evangelistic conviction, that integrity when it comes to evidence, and that degree of courage. Let's all learn from the Apostle Thomas. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on New Testament characters. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.